Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Becky Gray is with us from time to time. Becky comes in and straightens me out on what's going on in the state of North Carolina across the country with regards to what's happening politically and in government. Becky, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's always a pleasure to get straightened out and know what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Well, Becky, usually, you know, uh, you know the, we've talked about uh, the fact that Becky works at what is called a think tank. And, uh, you know, I've always had this image for years and years that everybody that works at a think tank smokes a pipe and usually is a male. And neither of those is me. I noticed. I noticed. And you, but, you know, I guess you could smoke a pipe. I could. Now, I don't know that I can be a male, but, you know, done at a think tank, too. The other thing that we, we don't just sit around and think about stuff. What we hope to do is to give you ideas to, and, and our listeners to make them think about things. That is, you know, that is one of the things that gets lost on uh, legitimate lobbying is people fail to understand that this is a great source of information for legislators and because the legislator knows where they're coming from and they know they're going to advocate for a position. But they also, if it's a really good lobbyist or advocate for something, they present a reasonable picture and they're going to tell their story and they should. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. And actually... Part of my job at the John Locke Foundation is working very closely with legislators, with decision makers across the state, and that's what the goal is. It's that we we don't pretend to come in and tell anyone how to think about something. What we want to do is present information and different ways of thinking about things for consideration. And I know I've done my job when a lawmaker says to me, you've really made me think about this, maybe in a different way. Yes, well, you know, we both have friends who disagree with us, but as long as we're talking, we're okay. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, if, if you have an open mind and listen, it's amazing what you find out from time to time. And, you know, don't, don't you find, too, that you learn things and you're challenged? In many cases, you are more comfortable in your position when you talk to people who don't agree with you. Well, I've, I've been swayed to, to change my opinion. Me, too. To, I mean, you know, I, they're, they're, sometimes you just don't know the whole story and you think you do. And you say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know that. Now, that changes where I'm standing. And we need more yeah. of that in yeah. this day and time. Uh, exactly, because uh, things do change, and uh, the world has to change with it. Uh, but uh, anyway, but one of the issues that's coming up, and we were talking about this before the program started, about redistricting, because this is a movement that has that has some uh, legs this time, I believe. It certainly seems to, and of course, this is after oh, well, I, I should set that up. What we're talking about is setting up, uh, 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 providing a legislation that will allow redistricting to be done by an outside body. Well, to be done by an outside body or, you know, what we're really talking about is reforming it so that one party or the other does not have complete control over it. Yes. And we saw a bill introduced just this week as the General Assembly is getting underway. I think that's a good start. But, you know, as you And it was bipartisan, I believe. Bipartisan, yeah, bipartisan support. Um, and I think we may see others, but this is a great first start to begin to talk about this. This is something we've been talking about for years. As a matter of fact, the John Locke Foundation has advocated for a fairer way of doing redistricting for probably 25 years. And now we advocated for that when the Democrats were in control, and we have advocated for that now that Republicans are in control. What we would like to see is more authority and more fairness for the voters across North Carolina rather than 
politicians picking their voters. And, you know, the interesting thing is uh, one of the things that I think has been kind of halfway fair about all this is the fact that when the Republicans began to change things, the, the first comments that came out of the Democrats was, I don't blame them. We did it. Right. I mean, you yes. know, nobody there is recognition. Yes, there is. Absolute, you know, those that are honest, yeah. you know, it is recognition. Now, you know, one of the claims is found from the Democrats is we did it for 140 years. But now with technology and the data and all that's available, this all this micro-targeting of people and being able to see from magazine subscriptions that they have the way that they might vote, you know, it, it has certainly advanced. Yeah. But, you know, the, I think that, Donna, I think you're right. I think the appetite to make some changes is certainly there. What I would like to see is the rules strengthened up. There's discussion of whether or not it should be an independent commission, whether that commission ought to be five members or 11 members or 20 members, who ought to appoint those members, what the distribution on a commission ought to be. I don't think that is really as important as the rules that are in place. And if we have tight rules where there is very little wiggle room, then I'm not sure who draws the map as as important as those rules are. Yeah, and that same technology that allows people to manipulate also has the ability to set up fairness. Exactly. I mean, because right. we do have all sorts of uh, 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 computer programs that can set up fair districts uh, on the state level, the congressional level. You know, we, this is on many levels here. We not only have the congressional levels, and of course, that's going to be complicated by the fact that chances are we're going to add a congressman in the next right, census. Right, right. A lot of people are moving uh, to North Carolina, yeah. so yeah, we are probably going to get more congressional representation, which is great for yeah. North Carolina. And, you know, Don, you're right. So we have it at the congressional, who represents us in Washington? We have it at the state level with our legislative maps, who represents us in Raleigh, but we also have it on the local level. Yes. As well, with city council districts and, you know, county commission districts, even school board districts, you have that redistricting. So to have those rules in place and the fairness, and we're not starting from square one. You know, in our state constitution, there are provisions for it. It starts to tell us how we are going to draw those maps. Um, we also have court cases going back to the early 2000s that draw, that have that criteria listed. And then there's a Supreme Court case right now that we're waiting to hear about political gerrymandering and hoping from some direction from the court, again, firming up those rules. What I'd like to see, too, is once we get all of the rules of how we're going to do this in North Carolina, to have it put into the Constitution. So it is not subject to a whim of the General Assembly. And again, you know, get the rules and get the rules right get them in place, and then then we can work out who's going to draw the maps. I don't think that is the important part of it. Again, I think the rules are the critical part of it. Becky, do you think, uh, this is a, kind of a wild statement, but do you think the present political party system that we've been uh, having since, I guess, the turn of the, uh, since the 1900s, is it obsolete? Are, are, we, are we beyond having two political parties which, um, the Democrats begin under more and more control of the left wing and the uh, Republican Party more and more control under the right wing, and the vast middle is sort of without authority. Well, I don't think that's a crazy question at all. I think it's something really to think about and, and to consider. 
you know, is it, we're not locked into this. I mean, it's just sort of evolved like it is that those are the two parties that have the most people. You know, in North Carolina, we now have, I forget, I mean, we've expanded that and allowed other parties to come in and register. So there's a Constitution Party, there's the Green Party. And yeah, and that's the biggest message right Mm -hmm. there. Voter registration today, Don, I believe the last time I checked it, unaffiliated are about a third of the voters yes um so you know does a party grow out of that um i like to think this thing is fluid and you know just because we've been doing it for 100 years doesn't mean this is the way we have to do it for the next 100 years what i don't want to see is some kind of mandate or so you know i'd like to see this thing grow organically and for voters and citizens to be able to frame these things they want to but that's part of some of these discussions at the general assembly too is when they're talking about everything from election board appointments even with this redistricting commission that has been floated the proposals have been well we'll have so many representatives from the republican party and so many from the democrat party and we're starting to hear unaffiliated voters and others say well wait a minute if you're just confining this to representation of the two major parties as we know it today what is this going to look like in perhaps the next election or certainly in five years ten years so i think we need to be fluid with it i think it's a good idea to look for that but i think it needs to grow as a response from what the voters want you know, more and more people are changing affiliation to unaffiliated, which allows you to vote in the primary of your choice each year. You can change. But here's what bothers me most about it. You have taken yourself out of the pool of possible candidates. That's true. And that, you know, that's a movement that yep. we might want to look at is, and we have had some unaffiliated voters, or I'm sorry, unaffiliated representatives in our General Assembly. Now, once they are elected to the General Assembly, they tend to caucus with yeah. one party and, or, and that's, or another. And that's okay. That, of course, no. of course, that's fine. You know, what the way that they identify with that. But um, I think that's something we clearly need to think about and make those options available if someone does not want to identify only with one party or the other. Well, we had, uh, we had the sad news of Walter Jones, and Walter Jones was a... A uh, unique individual, started as a Democrat, changed the Republican, but he never voted party lines with either party. No, and I think, you know, I mean, as we remember Walter Jones this week, I think that's one of the things that is brought up over and over again is that he voted with what he felt like, first of all, was true to his heart and his values, and of course then represented the people of his district very well. And I think that is commendable. I don't think that is, I mean, I don't see that as a criticism at all. I wish that we saw more of that and people really considering the issues and voting the way that that they believe it. And, you know, will that work? Is yep. you, you might hear from a beginning politician, yep. well, I can't do that because people will think I'm a flip-flopper or they won't know, you know, they won't understand a consistency and those kind of things. I think the admiration and, more importantly, the re-election of Walter Jones for, what was it, 25 years, yes. says this will work. Yes. Now, the, the problem with a fellow like Walter is he begins to not have any real say in his, in his own party, which means he does not have a lot of power to get appointments and things of that nature, which is which is sad. But uh, but he was a uh, uh, and of course he was always known as a very kind individual, and uh, so we we do kind remember and it. compassionate, compassionate, and, and compassionate. Yeah, it is going to be hard to fill um, fill that seat, but the the voters of the third congressional district have come to expect, and as well they should, 
a certain level of representation. And so it is going to be tough for the next, whoever the voters choose, and I think they'll have a lot of choices, um, but it's going to be tough to fill those shoes. Becky Gray is our guest. She's the uh, Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, and we'll be back with more here in Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This year, the North Carolina Guardian Ad Litem Program is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a voice for children who are victims of child abuse and neglect. The Guardian Ad Litem Program provides trained, independent advocates to represent abused and neglected children in court proceedings and to help make sure they have a safe, permanent home, what every child needs. Volunteerism is the cornerstone of the Guardian Ad Litem program, and volunteers are needed. If you have just a few hours each month to rise to the challenge and volunteer, please call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem program. Be the voice for a child. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Becky Gray is our guest, and uh, uh, we... uh, I've talked about all sorts of things. By the way, I want to mention and put a plug in for uh, your uh, appearances on North Carolina Spin. Thank you. Uh, North Carolina Spin uh, is now on public television and right. has a uh, more convenient schedule of times of its own. But that's the kind of program that I like because it, it represents, as we were talking before, both sides of every issue. Right. And issues that are important to North Carolina. And we do. I mean, it's a great lineup of panelists with wide variety of backgrounds and experience and tom campbell the host of that show does a great job of bringing us together to have these very reasonable and you know don my favorite thing about it is i always learn so much and um so thank you for that it's great fun to do and i hope our our viewers our listeners will watch nc spin it is broadcast friday evenings at 7 30 on the public television station and it's on several other times too because it's uh, they you know public television has some other channels right and, yeah so check the listings yeah. and then there's also a youtube that you can watch from the nc spin website yep. as well well tom but, does a great job he does with a that great program job. and i think it's the kind of program that we need more of where uh, both sides are usually represented by very reasonable people who are not only talking and sharing their opinions, but also listening to the other panelists. Exactly. And we don't always agree yeah. on everything. We, you know, actually, the show is interesting because we don't agree yeah. on everything. But um, I know I always learn something. And so I hope that our listeners will become viewers of NC Spin. So thank you for that. Well, it's a great it's a great uh, service to the state. And I'm glad to, uh, it's on. And I'm, uh, I'm always proud of Tom. Tom. Tom and I go back a long way. That does not surprise me. Two outstanding broadcasters. 
Well, he's uh, he's uh, he's been very loyal to that program, and and it's uh, carried it through for I don't know how long it's job. been on. Oh gosh, it's been on since the late nineties, I think. Um, I mean, Tom knows that. He says it's been on longer than Andy Griffin and I Love Lucy, and you know, it's met all kinds of benchmarks. And I don't see, you know, the the demand from the audience is is growing, and the move over to WUNC has been really good, and we've picked up a lot of viewers, I think, in sponsorships. And so it seems like it's just going to keep going and going, which is yeah. great. And there's, believe me, there's plenty to talk about. Yes, there always is. Well, speaking of having lots of things to talk about, let's talk about the General Assembly, the legislature. Uh, I, I never feel really safe when they're back in. And session. you should not. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so what? Uh, what what's going to happen this year in the legislature? Well, you know, that's a good question. They're getting things underway. Um, This is the beginning of the two-year session. This is the beginning of the long session. So we're just kind of starting to see those things grind along. We're seeing bills filed. Some of the priorities that we're seeing defined, the governor has come out and said his number one priority for this session is Medicaid expansion. Um, A lot of people don't think this is a good idea. I happen to fall in the court of, I don't think this is a good idea. So it's a controversial issue one that other states have done and have run into problems with it. Healthcare, as we learned from the polling in the last election in November, healthcare is the number one issue of concerns for voters. And so the high cost of healthcare, the access to healthcare, and of course the quality of healthcare is something that is front and center and getting a lot of attention this session. Um, You know, another issue that really is getting a lot of attention and as redistricting as we talked earlier in the broadcast is one that we may really see some legs and that's reforms to our ABC our alcohol beverage control system Uh, this has been discussed the last couple years as we've seen the craft beer industry really grow in North Carolina wineries have always been we've had very fertile ground no pun intended Um, for wineries to grow in North Carolina. We're seeing that with the craft beer industry and also with the craft distillers industry. Um, And so as these new burgeoning companies come on board, what we're seeing is there are a lot of barriers and restrictions within the ABC system that if we were able to get those out of the way and restructure things, we would have more opportunities, more opportunities for entrepreneurs, more encouragement for people to not only start businesses, but to grow these businesses and also more consumer choice and more um, opportunities across the state in this particular industry. So that's something that is getting a lot of bipartisan interest. There's a lot of agreement that we need to do some things to change that. And so there's, we're going to be seeing some legislation in the next couple of weeks that I think is going to really expand on that idea. So uh, I don't know if you've uh, done work on this. Maybe you have or, or maybe you just know. Uh, either way, it will help me. Okay. Uh, what are some other states doing that we ought to look at as a possible change? As some with the alcoholic well, ABC, beverage yeah. mm-hmm. system, um, North Carolina is. You know, we are unique in that we have local boards that control our ABC system. We are one of the few control states that the government controls all of the distribution. You know, we and some have a, of that's county and some of that's city, and that's also a problem, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, so you have all kinds of issues with patronage, with appointments of the ABC boards. Um, it's very tightly controlled. It's very, the way the system is developed, it's very difficult for these small companies, these small distillers, to get the shelf life, to get their products in the stores. It's all very tightly controlled. 
by the government in other states. You know, there, and then, John, that's the great thing about looking at some of these issues is different states do it different ways. And South so, Carolina what, has private ownership of liquor right, stores. Right. Yes, example. and and some states have almost complete privatization. Others, it's sort of a hybrid where you have the state licensing all of the ABC outlets so that there is that control, but there is more opportunity for competition. It's not all controlled. The state government doesn't own every ABC store. They don't control the flow of everything. So there's lots of opportunities out there. There's lots of models to look at to say, okay, you know, we want to do these three things from South Carolina. We don't want to do this from Washington State. New York has some good things we could adopt here. So we can put together a unique North Carolina plan that would work best, really borrowing the best ideas from other states. So the Program Evaluation Division at the General Assembly has just released a new report with a lot of these recommendations of things that could be done in North Carolina. The ABC system itself has just released their annual report. So we're getting a real idea of how the money flows, what that revenue looks like. Um, And again, there is a strong bipartisan effort at the General Assembly to really take a look at this. So I think we're going to hear more conversation about that as the session goes on. Well, and and of course, uh, the way that the... uh, uh, sale of alcoholic beverages happened in North Carolina was hodgepodge because each county and and in many cases each municipality had a different set of rules. I mean, especially back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was uh, no sale in some counties. There was beer only. There was uh, ABC stores. I mean, we still see that patchwork across the state. And of course, North Carolina has a long history of um, opposing, or I'm sorry, being in favor of prohibition. I think we were one of the last states in the nation to begin to sell alcohol again. Um, and there has always been a control. You know, we, we are a religious state. We're a very principled state. And there has been concern about the proper amount of control over alcoholic beverages, you know, who they're served, where they're served, those kind of things. And so part of this discussion is um, opening up this market so that companies can grow and there's a lot of opportunity for people but at the same time recognizing that this is a product that needs to be controlled um, and there's different structures with the alcohol law enforcement with regular local police officers we have a lot of enforcement laws on the books one of the things that's come up in this discussion is let's make sure that the laws that we have on the books are properly enforced and so you'll also probably be hearing some of those things along with this discussion. Well, that will be uh, something interesting to watch because uh, it will still be controversial. Right, and a lot of bipartisan yeah. support on yeah. this and, and bipartisan interest. So this is not a Republican-Democrat yeah. thing by any means. So uh, we've named two things, Medicare and uh, uh, health care uh, and ABC. What else? Well, you know, and, uh, first redistricting. Right, and, and, yes, redistricting. So those are, you know, three big issues. But, you know, here's something else to remember. The biggest thing that the General Assembly does in their function defined under our state constitution is the General Assembly is the appropriator of all of the tax revenue that comes in. You know, they get the money and then they decide where it's spent. And so those budget questions and the bu- budget that is put together um, every biennium for the um, for the whole state is key to what the General Assembly does. And, Don, we've seen several changes over the last several years. We've had transformational tax reform in North Carolina. So from the revenue 
cent side of it where we're getting our money. Um, again, we've had transformational tax cuts. We've had regulation. We've had better investments. And all of this has led to tremendous economic growth in North Carolina. What that means is, is then we have more money coming into the state coffers. Um, the latest numbers I've seen, I think we have close to $200 million surplus is expected during this next fiscal year. As that money comes in, one of the questions is, okay, what are we going to do with that money? Now, a lot of Republicans are saying we should have further tax cuts, give that money back to the taxpayers. What we're hearing from Democrats is we ought to spend that money on growing government programs. What the John Lott Foundation and others are considering or recommending is we need to replenish our savings account and be really smart as we have been the last several, several years. You may recall that because of the smart fiscal decisions, the growing economy, we have been having surplus revenue that has gone into a savings account that until several months ago was sat at $2 billion, largest in the state history. That's about 10% of our entire state budget. This is the direction we want to go, having that money set aside for a rainy day. Well, what happened back in the late summer, early fall was we had those rainy days. We had these hurricanes that came in. Thank goodness we had that money set aside in that savings account. They've spent about $850 million of that, Don, for hurricane recovery, for water and sewer repairs, for making sure that businesses can stay open and people can get on their feet in response to this. Um, and, and thank goodness that was there. Thank goodness these decisions have been made. But what we need to do now is we need to replenish that rainy day fund and bring that back up to that $2 billion mark. So what do you think is going to happen here in the next uh, uh, six months, uh, both on the uh, state level and the national level? The General Assembly, as we've said, is in session. We've already talked a little bit about it, but what do you think is going to come out of this? Um, well, you know, of course, it's still early. I think that we'll have some movement on these ABC reforms, as we've talked about. I think we're going to continue to talk about the storms that have hit North Carolina and that recovery. That is still a big deal, um, Don. Even though, as we mentioned earlier, $850 million has gone to help those communities, the question remains, what do we do so that the next time, not when, we don't know when, but we do know it will, hit again. How are we going to grow from this, learn from mistakes that have been made, and really put in place a more sustainable plan, whether it's what home you live in, whether you live in a flood zone, what kind of insurance you might need to cover. So I think we're going to see some talk about that. Also, infrastructure. You know, how many times are we going to build in rebuilding some of those roads on the eastern part of the coast that are just continually washed away? A lot of questions about that, I think, will be addressed during this session. Um, from a fiscal standpoint, I'll be honest with you. I mean, if they do nothing different, if they just let the reforms that have taken place over the last several years, if they let the new 2019 tax reductions that are already in place, if they go ahead and make good and they have made promises that teachers will get another pay increase this year to bring the average teacher pay up to $55,000 a year, 
If they do nothing new this General Assembly session, I really think that's a win for North Carolina and North Carolina taxpayers. Our economy's doing great. Unemployment is the lowest it's been in decades. More people are working. More people are able to provide for themselves and their families. There are more educational opportunities available to families. Um, Community college tuition is low. We're leaders, we mentioned earlier in the broadcast, with higher education. You know, things are really, really good in North Carolina, and sometimes you just sit back and let things go. Now, you asked about the national level. Something that I think we're going to see here in North Carolina is now that um, Walter Jones and a seat is available, we'll be looking in ways that that will be filled. Also, this controversy with the North Carolina 9 congressional district the um the investigation seems to be going on and so I think that the two empty seats in the United States Congress in North Carolina that we will move forward with that um, I think it'll be interesting to see if we have a new election in the district 9 or even if we don't how that will play out and whether Mark Harris will indeed be the representative from that district, and then some new leadership and soon some new names that we may learn as that con- North Carolina Congressional District 3 moving more towards that. Becky, thank you so much for being with us. Becky Gray, the Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or listen to the segments that you might have missed, you can go online to carolinaneesmakers.com and do just that. Our program has been produced by the one and only Jason Coggin. He'll have another guest for us again next week on the same group of stations. Till next week, same time, same stations. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.